0: Welcome back for another episode of Gathering Ground. I'm your host, Mary Morton. We're back for another year of igniting conversations that illuminate the human experience. Today, we're thrilled to host an Afro-Latina star whose journey through the labyrinth of Hollywood is as captivating as any script. She's navigated cultural complexities, embraced transformative roles, and championed fair pay for artists in the age of streaming, all while keeping herself firmly planted on the ground. So settle in and get ready to be inspired by the one and only Gina Torres. Hey, Gina. Hey, hey, Mary. How you doing? I am great. So glad to have you on Gathering Ground. I've been waiting for this conversation. Um, You know, I want to get started with really a little bit about your background. I mean, I know you used to work at Lincoln Center Theater, for instance. Uh, But I know you had a life before then. And so uh, tell us a little bit about... Um, your life before Lincoln
1: Center? No, there was no life before Lincoln Center I mean- <laughs> Theater. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: oh, goodness. Goodness. Uh, well, the short story is I am a first generation Cuban American. Um, my parents immigrated uh, to the States separately. They met here um, uh, before the, the Cuban Revolution. Grew up a family of five, I have two siblings and just grew up in the Bronx, grew up in the Bronx. Um, my my teenage years, you know, when we moved downtown to Washington Heights um, yeah. was was pretty extraordinary. It was, you know, it was the seventies. It was the eighties, and New York was was magical and also seedy, and and always just what kind of full of, of possibilities and change, and um, everything seemed possible. And even though I had zero connection to the entertainment world, um, to theater and TV, that that in my brain was something in my brain, and in my heart, and in my soul was 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 something that just burned in me. I I wanted so desperately to be a part of that.
0: And so that that was where the interest began in acting. Yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. so what did you what did you do first? What was your first performance? My
1: first <laughs> my first full-on amateur performance was um at PS 187. In uh, I was eleven years old, or was I twelve? Maybe I was twelve years old in an uh, apart in the school musical Barnum, where I got to be, where I got to sing a solo, and there was dance, and there was a little bit of a very innocent striptease, uh, and I got to sing the uh, the song "Thank God I'm Old." Wow! And it was the first time that I had heard that kind of applause that was just for me and and I have to say I just I loved everything about it I loved rehearsing it I loved learning the music I loved learning the 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 choreography and and when it came time to actually do it I just remember like all the kids around me being really really nervous and scared and I was excited There were some nerds, but I just couldn't wait to get out there. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: little did I know that that's, that's, you know, a surefire sign that you're probably doing the right thing.
0: Absolutely. All right. So that's when you got the bug. And then you went on to do what? How did you get to Lincoln Center Theater? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) I got to Lincoln Center Theater because I was working directly across the street at a restaurant called the Saloon, uh-huh. the Saloon was famous because it had roller skating waiters and waitresses, and I was a roller skating hostess. And wow. one of the one of the the waitresses, um, started working at Lincoln Center Theater, and she said, "You know, they're looking for receptionists." And it's a part-time gig, and I was like, "This is perfect because I can have that part-time gig and I can have this part-time gig, which works at night, and somewhere in there, I'll be able to navigate auditions because that's what we all do, right? You just kind of figure out how you, 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 you try to build uh, an existence and a life that allows you to go on cattle calls and meet people and see things, and and that's what was great about having those two jobs at that time. Was that, yes, it was a restaurant and yes, there were other actors that were waiting tables, but that was the most actors. Those were the most actors that I had ever been exposed to Mm -hmm. people that were living it and doing it. And, you know, at varying um, levels of success. So I was watching them I was watching you know the guys trying to get the job and I was watching the guys that were that had gotten the job and were showing up for rehearsal every day and um, and that's where I met Aisha Coley, Emmy award-winning casting director Aisha Coley, who saw me um, answering phones mm-hmm. and said uh, and sat down while she was waiting for her lunch to be delivered. <laughs> And <laughs> she looked at me and said, "Okay, Gino, what do you really do? Mm-hmm. Why are you here?" And I said, "Well, I'm trying to be an actress. and And the stars aligned in such a way where she was interested enough in in my look and my demeanor and asked if i could if I could sing, asked if I could dance because she was holding auditions for the chorus of uh, at that time, the revival of anything goes." Oh, okay what title poem? and i was 19 wow. at the time i think i just turned 19 cuz i i hit the streets after high school <laughs> so um she said there's i don't think there's anything here for you because you're not a dancer but i just want to i just want to see what you can do so right. you know prepare a couple of monologues and and some songs and and come on in And because of what she saw on that day, she recommended me to some representation and-
0: The rest is history.
1: The rest is history.
0: So that, okay, early days, all right. Um, (laughs) You've been very active, of course, as of recent, uh, I mean, you're always active on social, but in particular, very vocal around Latina representation uh, through this strike and making sure that voices were heard and that you all were out there. When you think about your career, overall, and you think about representation, which you've talked about many times, what were some of the lessons you learned about how you were going to be presented, right? What was important to you in terms of the work that you said yes to? You know, early on, of
1: course, it's, you you, you say yes to everything. You're just trying to, you're just trying to get in the room. You're just trying to be seen and, and learn and, and, and get some experience. Um, I probably did say no to some things. I know I said no to some things early on because they just they they were just a, they were a wrong fit. But in terms of representation, in particular, uh, one of the things that I that I learned very very quickly that was rather heartbreaking and and sort of a culture shock was who I knew myself to be was not what people assigned to me mm-hmm. in the entertainment. Industry, like like I said, I grew up in New York City, an incredibly diverse melting pot of 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 a city, and and where all cultures are are represented and seen and 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 um, uh, celebrated and validated and 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 every like. I don't want to say it's sub, like sub universe of every culture. Right. I mean, you saw everything, including me, including the Afro Latino. Um, I just thought the world knew what an Afro Latino was. (laughs) (laughs) And that just was not the case. So when I became an actor and I saw that there was a box, just one, and that that i was meant to fit in and that was that was the black box mm-hmm. and and i and sometimes i get into trouble and sometimes people get it and sometimes people know and 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 so when i say cuz i don't want to ruffle feathers but i will when, when i say i never considered myself as being just Black, because culturally, the, the Black American experience is different from the Latino American experience, from the Afro-Latino experience. And so to now be asked to, to portray something that felt ingenuous to my soul, because there was no box for me was a really, really difficult challenge to sort of take on and make peace with. So when, so my biggest lesson in all of that was to learn that the only way that I could expand the footprint of Latinidad was to always be myself. Was to never, ever, um, uh, uh, give in to to the assignment. And so, whatever the role I was playing, I was playing by giving my experience as who I was to whatever particular role, and and also not changing my name not you know putting my culture first and 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 foremost in terms of how I was seen outside of the parameters of any given job any given uh uh um representation um as a character was this is Gina Torres and my job is an actor and this is a character that I'm playing and right. so i think slowly but surely it made its mark that i became uh uh, some somewhat of, a, of, of an example for other Afro Latinos who weren't seeing themselves represented, but knew that I was there, knew that I was out there in such a way that that maybe others were not allowed to because it was confusing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how did that work when you took on the role in in Firefly, for instance? Did you did did you feel like you had to make that known? Uh, Did did people understand that as they brought you into that character? No, I
1: mean, she never, she never spoke a word of Spanish. Her, her, her cultural identity was never discussed. That was mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that was mine. It wasn't, it wasn't inherent or, 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 or important to the character of Zoe.
0: Okay.
1: And, and. That character, yeah, it just wasn't a part of the universe, right. You know what I mean? and so and so this is where this is where projection comes in handy, because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how it's written. I am who I am.
0: right, that's right.
1: And so anybody watching it is watching this woman be that character and so they can attach as we all do they can attach whatever they need to attach to because that's part of my job is to bring you in to be a mirror of of your humanity of your culture sometimes of, of 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 you and bring you into a story and so yeah it's it's never it's never oh i'm gonna make you know it's been very few times that i've said this is going to be an afro latina character <laughs> it has to serve the story in some way it has exactly. to you know it can't just be random
0: right right you know exactly okay that makes no that makes absolute sense and it seems as though that's taken on almost cult-like uh quality in terms of Zoe and Firefly I mean so many folks I just yep. hear a lot of folks about that character
1: including one who's near and dear to us
0: <laughs> oh my God absolutely <laughs> I mean, people love you in that role. And what did you learn from that role and the response you received from that role? There are things that happened with that role that then impacted how you selected future roles because of the response to that role?
1: No, no, not at all. Um, (laughs) I mean, this is this might sound a little disappointing to all the fans out there, Um, but you know zoe zoe was was she's just another extraordinary character that 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 goes in my into my canon of work um it is so fascinating to me that that um people feel so connected to her because i look at my time on that show and you know very little about her there's there's very zoe was very underwritten mm. and I didn't say much. I was, I was sort of like this very sarcastic, curly haired Jiminy Cricket on the shoulder of, of Nathan Fillion while they were doing, you know, while we were, you know, in the verse and doing all the things that we wanted to do. So it never, she, she's, she's, I speak rarely. The love that that that, that uh, exists between her and Wash, I think, is is something that that people felt, and uh, as a as an interracial couple as well, I think that struck many chords for a lot of people that also didn't see themselves represented in that way. That were part of an interracial couple, um, their their commitment to each other, um, and this sense of this sense of family. Um, that the family that you choose is sometimes so much more important and can hold such a such a uh, a a dearer place in your heart. Um, and so I think those were all the things that were that were beautiful about Firefly as a whole, and and Zoe's part in it was, you know, I, I guess as as Mama, as Mama, of the ship was was. Um, just part of that dynamic that that people plugged into.
0: And so you've done, obviously, lots of uh, work over many years. And as we think more currently about some of your work, your current, more recent work around uh, Jessica Pearson, uh, who's, I'm just going to say, the clothes, the clothes, the (laughs) clothes. (laughs) Uh That must be. How much fun? <laughs> no, okay, maybe not. <laughs> no, okay.
1: <laughs> you know, here's so here's the thing about that. A lot of yes, of course. I mean, who gets to be that fabulous for that many years? And just, mm-hmm. I mean, every every outfit was a reveal. Mm-hmm. It's like at some point you just you just tuned in to see what what I was getting ready to like turn the corner into Harvey's office wearing right. I mean it was they they were events. They were just little mini events, and I remember getting the you know getting the scripts and and then there you know there were there were no costume fittings that were shorter than approximately two hours. Really. And you'd make time. You'd ha- they'd make time for them. Sometimes you you'd jump in, you know, while they were setting up a, a another scene, just to make sure that it was tight enough and right, and and like all the you know all the things worked. Um, and God bless them; those tailors were you know working up to the last minute to make sure that everything was just beautiful. Um, and it was. And so that part of it is you know it. It's hard pressed to 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 believe that that would ever happen again mm-hmm. in that way it, it, I'm sure it's it's kind of how um Joan Collins and uh, um Diane Carroll felt during the dynasty days, right? But wearing those outfits. For a few hours and those those shoes for a few hours, that's being fabulous. Having to be in them for sixteen hours <laughs> it's a different story. It's a different story. So the reality <laughs> of being that woman um, as as an actor is very different. It's yeah. very different.
0: Yeah. No, that's that that makes a lot of sense. And again, to your point. All we see is the fabulousness. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's all we saw.
1: That's it. And- that's my job. That's everybody's job. That's, that's it. So we uh, did our job.
0: <laughs> you think back on on uh, characters that you've played, are there, you know, one or two that you would say, these are absolutely my favorites. These are ones that, you know, should I have the opportunity to to do this again, I would be happy to, you know, take a walk down that road again.
1: You know there there are all of them. I mean, you know, especially especially coming at it now with some perspective, mm-hmm. it's 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 always fun to kind of peek in. I, I always wonder because I think maybe they exist in alternate universes, right? It's it's kind of like these. You think of these shows and these movies that are are like these 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 wishes. You know, they start off as as sort of like as a dream somebody's dream and then they're sent out into the universe and they, they sort of live in a bubble that that we started and, and and so it continues on they're like they're still around in some way <laughs> you just want to peek in you just want to peek into the window to see how they're doing and what they're up to um and so I, I do feel that way about about Jessica sometimes because I never felt like we like we really got to it with her. We didn't we didn't peel enough uh-huh. layers back for her, I feel that way. About um Anna Espinoza um on alias. You know that uh-huh. that kind of took this this sort of wild uh-huh. wacky crazy turn. Um Zoe. Um not so much. Not so much. Be only because in that world um, I lost Wash and, and Ron Glass is gone. So I, I, I don't have a burning desire yeah. That, that, yeah. that, that, that there's a, there's a, there's a sadness behind all that, uh, sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, and then there's this great character that, you know, not that many people knew about. There was a show called Huge where I played a camp counselor and, um, and that's another character that I just don't feel because the life of the show was so short. I don't feel like we really got to her, but what, what was revealed of her, I found very interesting.
0: Wonderful. Well, I want to turn here and talk a little bit about the business of, of being an actor, if you will. And, um, some of the, um, things that come along with being an actor, particularly, um, when you go on strike uh happy you know happy that that's over with um there were certain um i would say maybe responsibilities that 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 people took on and was it also understood that this is what you need to do and and did you see the people out there on the protest lines cuz you were out there a lot a whole latina um uh, contingency on a regular yeah. basis, doing all yeah. you know, all kinds of things. Um, yeah. Really bringing attention that there is an active uh, group of folks who look like yourselves who are doing this work. Um, did did you see people really moving into that? And I'll say again, responsibility to speak up and to speak out on behalf of everyone.
1: Um, well, I certainly did. Because I, I I very much consider myself a working class actor, I've mm-hmm. had great success, um, but I'm also very but I'm I'm having great success now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knock on wood, you know it's been I've been doing this for thirty five years. I have seen the industry oh, that's change. change. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> 35 years. So I've seen the industry change um, a lot. And the whole point of the strike was that as much as the industry has changed, our contracts were not keeping up with the changes. And then something like streaming comes along and completely upends how we are able to make a living as actors. And, and, and so then it becomes like quite literally an existential threat to the working actor, the way streaming was conceived and how the business of it and the business model of that has played out. AI has played out. And so when you're looking at the fact That, and this is a fact, this isn't, this isn't me like patting myself on the back as an actor, when you look at what do people turn to when they need to feel better, when they need a good cry, Mm -hmm. when they need to heal something up inside themselves and they know they can go to a certain movie or a certain song or a certain musician or whatever it is. When you're talking about how art infiltrates our lives day in and day out and that there is a monetary value to that that is making other people who are not creators who are not contributing but it's making them very very rich i you know the whole point is i you know we should have a piece of the pie that's right we should have a piece of the pie that we ourselves are baking with our with our artistry with our time with our commitment with our sacrifice and so that's what the fight was about that's why we were deep in the trenches and and it's like you can't you cannot replace the human contribution that we are making i mean it netflix god bless them i've worked for them i probably will work for them again but when you think about what we were all doing during the pandemic <laughs>
0: yeah
1: you know, yeah. Uh, I don't think I need to put a finer point on that. So what happened was, in terms of Latinas acting up mm-hmm. and, um, and all our brothers and sisters on you know on, on the picket lines, is that we tried to figure out how to, first of all, we had to I, I don't say rebrand, but there was a great deal of um, uh, education that had to happen because the world at large just thinks that all actors are rich and all actors have no problems and all actors just pay, just play pretend for a living. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It is a 0.5% of actors that aren't concerned (laughs) with what, with where their next paycheck is coming from. Everybody else everybody else, all those people that you see standing next to and behind the 5% that ain't worried, <laughs> we're all worried. So we needed to educate the public on that. We also needed to put a real human face to it. And and so we we it, you know, was about devising um, platforms that became very, very familiar to everyone. So there were theme strikes, you know, of your favorite shows and and um, reunions of your favorite shows. And Latinas Acting Up was the brainchild of Diana Rivas and, and uh, Lisa Vidal, um, who were like, you know, who can make some noise? Latinas can make some noise. And we're all coming together and we're all going to not just, show the world that we're committed and show you know the, the uh the, the AMPTP that we're here we're here to stay and we've been here let's also make it about the beauty of our diversity
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and every week without fail there were pictures of us that that were spotlit in any given publication
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh and if it wasn't a well-known name, it was us. And so that that told us, that telegraphed to us that that um that people want to see us.
0: That's right. People that do wanna, people want to see us.
1: People right. are hungry for us. People, it's not just because we're cute, it's because we are soon to be the majority minority that our representation on screen is nowhere near what our actual representation is economically, <laughs> population-wise. Uh, and, and so that was part of also that, that became part of our separate agenda is to let the powers that be know that this is an untapped market that needs to be tapped
0: that is a great place to take a short break. I wanna talk more about some of the lessons learned. And I think, as you say, the education, I think for the general public was (laughs) enormous. I think people learned a lot about what really happens. Um, And so let's talk more about that. Uh, We're gonna take a short break. You're listening to Gathering Ground and I'm talking with Gina Torres today. And we're back in a moment. Mm -hmm. Everyone, thanks so much for joining me on Gathering Ground. We want to hear from you. If you have any questions about your work in nonprofits or any of the topics that we've covered here on Gathering Ground, send them on in. Send them to Mary at Gathering Ground Podcast.com. That's Mary at Gathering Ground Podcast, all one word.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Back, everyone. I'm talking with Gina Torres, and we we were really getting into some of the education that really took place during the strike. I think many people learned about the benefits that people aren't getting—the twenty six thousand dollars that you must make to get health care. Yeah. I, I have to say, I was yeah, I, w- I was shocked at that. I mean, I certainly understand that people who are writers may not be doing that full time or maybe doing it in conjunction with other gigs. Yet I didn't understand the number of people, like that five percent that you just talked about, uh, folks who are like, okay, I'm good. I'm you know I, I can wait for the next job and whenever it ever goes up, it'll be fine. That I think was news to me. Also, um, I was hoping you know, I have another friend Gina Yashere, with her show on Mondays, Bob Harts Abishola, uh, and I kept thinking, you're almost coming into year five. You're going to, uh, you know, it's going to be, you're going to go to syndication. You're going to get all these residuals. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's already been addressed because of streaming. That's out the window. That will yeah. not be happening. So I think all the things that we learned about what really happens was extraordinarily important. And I think we'll just deepen support should, God forbid, this have to happen again.
1: Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. You know, one of the things that we also did that was incredibly important on the picket lines is that we we joined other unions that were also picketing. That's right.
0: That's right. You know,
1: because we were all fighting for the exactly the same
0: things. Right. Auto workers um, striking. Mm-hmm.
1: Correct. Auto workers, hotel workers. Um, you know, it, it one of the days also happened to coincide with um, Latina Equal Pay Day. Oh, OK. That we we are we are the lowest on the totem pole. Latina women make less money uh, on the dollar mm-hmm. than our counterparts. Mm-hmm. So all of that just kind of, you know, when, when we talk about how we function as a society or rather how we dysfunction as a society um, because of this runaway corporate greed, then you know it's not just it's not just about actors that's right it's it it becomes a global thing because we're all hurting because everybody wants to make more with less <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's just not yeah. to your point about the actors it's also about the costume designers and the right. set designers you know yeah. the makeup artist everybody right. was impacted by this strike in ways that I think the general public just doesn't think about, isn't aware of all they, you know, they television, they see their favorite show. They're good to go.
1: So as uh, so about that, I think also what a lot of people don't understand, which is which is also sort of standard practice, is that there are states in the U.S. that give tax incentives to television and movie productions. Oh, yes. Mm hmm. And the reason why those states do that is because of the amount of work that television and television and movie productions bring to any given city in any given state. Because when a movie rolls in, you need construction workers, you need hair and makeup people, you need caterers, you need drivers, you need um, painters for
0: mm -hmm. sets.
1: You know, and and so and then it becomes as well this it, this this beautiful sort of this opportunity for apprenticeship also comes into this right. city that may not necessarily have been set up to support right. a movie and television, but now but now you have young people maybe learning about lighting. You have a whole new generation of. Of drivers, a whole new generation of hair and makeup people, a whole new generation of of young people that you know pr- pr- that go into production, that go into construction, that go into writing, that go like, that moving dollies. It is a universe unto itself that creates more and more jobs. And so, when you think of all of those people that were out of work, it is. Devastating. It is devastating to our economy in California. It is devastating to the economy wherever there were productions being, being held. Um, You know, Atlanta is another huge hotspot Mm -hmm. in, in that way. So again, it's not just about the actor. It's about what these hand made productions create that everybody gets a stake in, that everybody gets to feel pride about doing all of these, all of these, these seemingly disjointed skill sets coming together to create this one moment in time. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I still get emotional and still get, you know, geeky about what I do, because it does bring so many people together on set in the moment And when it's given out to the world and it's put out there and it brings a whole other element of 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 community and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of people experiencing something for themselves.
0: I I can understand that. I mean, because I, too, you know, just from where I'm sitting, get a little teary eyed when I hear when there's an opportunity to see uh, maybe a show doing its last, you know, last uh, recording, last taping and the, I don't know who does it, but somebody calls out and that's a wrap. That's a series yes. finale. Yes.
1: Yes. Just that, like, would be, that would be our AD, our, our assistant directors. Yes.
0: yes. It's it's, I mean, it just means so much is coming to an end. Yeah. Right. It's just not that time, not that particular episode, but so many of these relationships then are coming yeah. to an end in this way. Not that you won't yeah. continue the way, but in that way, in that moment, it's, yeah, it's it's done. Right. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, when you think about your current work, and what you've been mm-hmm. working on for the last few years, how how are you feeling about uh 911? It, it's very intense. <laughs> it is. I'm scared sometimes to watch it. I love it and I watch it all the time, but sometimes I'm like, no, no, I can't I can't see this particular I can't see this particular accident. Um yes. Yes. I, it's a, it's amazing what what you all have pulled off, I'll just say in some of those scenes.
1: I agree. I agree. Um yes, nine one one Lone Star. I'm I'm I, gosh, I do love the show. Um I was a fan of the show before it uh before I was a part of the show for so mm-hmm. many reasons. Um you know it, it spotlights are are incredible Sponders. um first responders. Uh, I, I like to believe that that we do great justice um, to them and their plight, not just, not just what they do in the field and the importance of what they do in the field, because there's, you know, there's so much of their heroism comes from being able to create a human connection with the people that they're helping and getting them through the worst day of their life. So that for me is important. Um, I love the character that I'm playing. I love all the characters on the show because again, you get to go home with them. You get to feel who they are. It's not just action and you know, epic saves. Um, mm-hmm. There are some very beautiful, poignant, quiet, quiet moments that the writers have, have been incredibly generous to, to, to write so that we can all uh, experience these characters as fully as possible these people that are coming into your, your, um, your living rooms and your, your, you know, screening rooms. Um, Tommy Vega is great with Afro Latina specifically. So, (laughs) you know, as a mom became a widow, single mom, you know, the whole, all those things, those are all rich, yummy nuggets to, to play. So I'm, I'm loving this this part of my of my life i'm loving this lone star chapter very much
0: it's no it's really such a great cast a great ensemble right and to your point the character development yeah. a- a- as you know it takes time to right? get to know each of the characters and everyone just has an extraordinary story one that really draws you in that you really want to hear more about what kind tell us for those people who haven't been on set, perhaps including myself um what what's a typical day like? Uh, when you're going to shoot the scenes that you're going to be in, right? the majority of the scenes you're going to be in on a particular day what's what time does your day usually start?
1: well, okay on a on a full on a full Tommy Vega day <laughs> let's say um uh, my my alarm will go off at, um, let's say, okay, so let's say we're shooting at Fox studio. So if I'm first in, that means that, so I gotta, I gotta reverse engineer it a little bit. If I'm first in, that means mm-hmm. that the crew will get there at seven for the first rehearsal. Right. So I've got to be mm-hmm. in hair and makeup by 5 15. Okay. Which means that I'm up at uh, usually around quarter to four or so um, to work out, get my body working, get my brain working, (laughs) shower, change, get in the car, get to work by five o'clock in the morning. I go through the works. We rehearse. I put on my uniform and then the day officially begins because we usually will usually get the first shot off, which means that the cameras actually start rolling something useful, you hope, around mm-hmm. right around seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock. And then a mm-hmm. typical day, it's not an eight-hour day. A typical day is a is a is a 12 to 13 hour day. That's a short day. We usually run 16. 16 hours is a, is a typical workday on set.
0: And is it true? I guess I think some of this about the timing, was that part of a part of the union piece and in, in, in terms of people actually getting breaks or did that come up earlier? I, I heard something about these long days and sometimes people not getting any breaks on the crew side. I, I mean, right. maybe for the actor side, but certainly for the crew side, that people were just kind of going through it. And, you know, to your right. point,
1: Breaks happen. Breaks are, breaks are a natural uh, um, occurrence on, on, on sets because there's time to, while the, while the crew is working to set up any given shot, which means moving cameras, making sure that the set is dressed properly, moving things around, that the lights are happening, then, then that's downtime for actors. Then the actors take over the, uh, the set as it were. And then that's sort of uh, other than, uh, well, it's downtime time for the actors and the camera crew and then the actors and the camera crew go. Right. So right. those little mini coffee breaks, as it were, are kind of built in to, to those 13, 14, 15, 16 hours. And then we do get a lunch break in there at mm-hmm. the six hour mark. But what is part of, part of our contracts. Um, I'm not quite sure if this is what you're asking is that we must get 12 hours between rap the end That's of the, what day, it is. And the beginning That's of what the next day. That's
0: right. That's so what it is. Actors
1: mm-hmm. get 12 hours between, you know, see you see you tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> to good morning. And if for some reason, and this and this sometimes happens, um, if they if They have to ask you if you're willing to truncate that because very often, just like right now, our days are short. So you only have so many days, like so many hours of light. And if the scene takes place outdoors during the day, then you have to start when the sun is coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so sometimes you don't get those 12 hours, but they do have to ask. Okay.
0: No, that was yeah, that was I knew there was some negotiation or you know, new policy yeah, around no, that's been
1: in place. That's been in place for years though. That's been in place for years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The crew the crew asked for more time though, because the crew typically didn't have as much time.
0: Yeah. So Gina, as you think about storytelling, as you think about the the future of storytelling and the various ways that we can do it, what are your hopes for how some of this may evolve so that there is deeper representation so that people really, um, one, you know, they're seeing folks that they um, they look like <laughs> and folks that really are familiar to them um, mm-hmm. in their own lives. A- and so, you know, lots have been made about storytelling. There's lots of storytelling happening. How do you see that or how would you like to see it? I, I i'll I'll put it that way how would you like to see that evolve over the next several years
1: well really the the best way for that to evolve is for us to take our place behind the camera to take you know we we gotta we gotta write them we gotta produce them we gotta direct them we've got to to we, we have to take ownership of our stories in ways that we have not been um I mean, I, I hate for it to sound defeatist because I hate the word, but we truly have not been allowed to um, take ownership of our stories. The, it it was not that long ago that you'd have a Latino story being told by white actors and white directors and and and, and white writers. It was not that yes. long ago <laughs> that that happened. Um, yeah. Or Black stories told by, you know, white writers and white directors. It's just, so now we're in a position, we are much, we are in a much better position. Um, and as over the years, this has happened where um, more successful actors or more successful directors have really made inroads in terms of, and writers in terms of bringing other people into the room that, you know, that are beautiful, glorious allies in the industry have you know have also said you know what we need to change this up because we do need to tell these stories and we need to tell these stories in in as authentic a way as we possibly can and so that is the quickest way of seeing ourselves represented in the way in in a way in which we want to see ourselves represented which is as complete and and multifaceted, diverse human beings, full stop.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that the uh, racial reckoning that happened after George Floyd was murdered, impacted any of this happening? I noticed on some of the news shows that have been so really incredibly white suddenly they found black commentators they found you know people that present the various products um and oh my goodness they're not all white it's it's, it's <laughs> they found all those folks and before that was not the case so has it impacted you think um you know your field as well uh, because I've seen it in other fields but I I feel like some of this, um allyship and we sometimes refer to it as being a co-conspirator um I like that <laughs> is is coming forward that we have not seen it before and I feel like you know again from some of the work that I'm doing because we do a lot of work around racial equity it has absolutely been as a result of folks taking it to the streets
1: yeah yeah I think that's a, I think that's a huge part of it I think it's a huge part of it it's, and 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 part of taking things to the street as being as loud as possible <laughs> and not putting up with it anymore. I think that's also, um, uh, huge. It's like, for it's not that we didn't know that, although I mean I'm uncovering certain stories that it, it's a shame that they're not, that, that they're just not a part of our, our grade school curriculum. That we should all grow up knowing, like these these stories, are stories that have just been relegated to the corners of of our existence in our society, are now you know being excavated, and that's incredibly exciting. But I, I, but more to your, you know, suddenly seeing black and brown faces and Asian faces on on your screen. Um, I know in at my in my end of the business, you know the old trope was um, that there just weren't very many of us in the talent pool that could handle the oh. subject matter, yes. which is you ridiculous. Know, that was the excuse that they gave. Um, oh, it's just a tiny. Oh, it's just a. Uh, um, uh. <laughs> and I know as a. Fact, and you know that we have, and I'm not going to name any names, but we have seen certain superstars start off being god awful, and we're able, we're given the opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to practice on screen in multi million dollar productions, That's right.
0: and they finally That's right. got better. Right. Twenty this years opportunity later. would not have been taken or had not been taken with black and brown folks.
1: No. That's right. No. They, they just they just weren't. There was they 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 would have rather spent the money that they were using cultivating white talent, Caucasian talent, they 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 would not spend it on us, they would not spend the time to look for that with black and brown faces and, and, and Asian faces. Instead, they just hired somebody who they felt already had a following. And that's how Ice-T mm-hmm. became an actor. That's how Whitney Houston got movies. That's how <laughs> you had musicians. You yeah. had popular uh-huh. musicians, rappers, and then the advent of reality.
0: Oh came. yes, reality and TV. It was,
1: it, no. was, it was the reality celebrity that came and infiltrated. But never, never were we given those opportunities. And I think one of one of the uh you had these beautiful um independent movies that started to come around. You had people that just started doing it themselves and spotlighting right. diverse talent that that you know, made their way into mainstream a lot due to streaming because you didn't need a giant platform. You didn't need to be on a, on a, um, on a cable network or, or, you know, streaming helped that a lot as well. You know, you, and it, and it gave these young actors experience. It gave them, you know, gave them opportunity to fine tune and hone because being in front of the camera is not a natural (laughs) state of existence. And so we need Mm -hmm. that. And we need to continue Mm -hmm. that. And we need to foster and nurture, you know, all the young talent that's out there. And we need to hire the OGs (laughs) who've been doing it for a long time and put a spotlight Mm -hmm. on them as well.
0: Yes. And so what, speaking of, you know, folks who are, going to break into the business. I love that term, breaking in. Um <laughs> what would you give someone who is thinking, "Okay, I went to Juilliard. I'm I'm done. Uh, I'm now going to go and get a job." And what what are what are one or two things that you would say you need to keep in mind as you you come out of school, you're not going into a formal program like that, what would you say is really important for someone to know? About this um, this work
1: of the work, I would say that you will use maybe fifteen percent of what you learn in Julia, <laughs> and to hold on to that, um, because that's your art. Mm-hmm. Hold on to and and hold on to your art, um, but most importantly, really hold on to yourself because this industry and this business is is notorious and relentless for wanting for for chipping away at your sense of self and and what you know you inherently are bringing to the table so be forever vigilant about protecting your your heart and your soul and your psyche and being true to your art and but also Understand that it's a business, and yes. and you will learn how to balance what is precious to you with how to get the job done.
0: And how long did it take you to do that?
1: Uh, I would say about ten years, by the time I stopped taking everything mm-hmm. so damn personally. It's not personal. The business part of it is not mm-hmm. personal. It's not and and that's and that's hard. That's hard particularly for an actor because your business is you. And if they don't want you, that's how do right. you not take that personally? But it's but it's not. It's not. You just have and to trust And how do you it will be your turn. You will have a turn okay. and and your work is for you, it's not anybody else's.
0: And and to keep at it and in the meantime, work on yourself, work on things that you know you need to improve upon. Yep. How do you take how do you take care of yourself? What's the self-care for Gina Torres look like?
1: Self-care sometimes is as simple as shutting the door and listening to music. Mm-hmm. Uh or taking a nap or Cooking for my family, and that's that's I'm a homebody, um, so that's what self care looks like for me. Staying in shape is incredibly important to me because it keeps it keeps my mind clear. Uh, it keeps me in tuned. Uh, I come up with great ideas when I'm on the treadmill. <laughs> it's just. It's part of what I do and who I am. Everybody needs to find their thing. For some people, it's it's, commu- it's being active in the community, um, which is also incredibly mm-hmm. important because it gives you perspective.
0: And what's next for you? What projects do you have coming up? Where should we look for you? What's going, what's happening? Now that the strike is what's over, and hopefully on? some projects are going to be, hopefully reinitiated. There's so many folks who I've talked to who said, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to hear about what's actually going to happen because they they don't know about a show, they don't know about right. you know a particular role on, on stage. Yeah,
1: right. Well, I'm I'm happy to say that Lone Star will be back uh, for 12 Yay. brand new episodes uh, in the fall, in the fall of next year. So it's it's a it's a bit of a wait, but we're 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 going to start rolling cameras again soon. 24 okay. fall of 2024. Um, and oh. in the meantime, you know, I, I spoke a lot about uh being behind the camera and that's uh and storytelling. So that's that I I am fully ensconced in the world of producing. Um, I have a few projects coming up, and as soon as they become real, uh I will more than happy, happily come back and tell you all about them.
0: All right. Well, we're going to be looking for them. Um there's just a huge, huge fan base uh, in my world for you, and um, I, you know, understandably so. Um, just so talented and real and lovely, and we are so excited that we had a chance to talk with you today to hear a little bit more about your background, um, and just are wishing you the absolute best as you move back into it <laughs> the world of acting uh now that the strike is over. <laughs> yes. That SAG after sign out of our window that we we just took it out a couple of weeks ago because we yeah. have one. You know, we're right okay. here in Chicago the <laughs> north side. Love it. We I had that it. sign. I it. Yes, we thank were there. Thank you. So well, thank you so much for uh joining me today on Gathering Ground. Uh this has been another episode with the always lovely and smart Gina Torres. And we're back in a moment. Thank you. Thank you so much. From the Bronx to the bright lights of Hollywood, Gina has illuminated our screens and our hearts with her talent, her resilience, and her unwavering commitment to equity. Today, she shared her vulnerabilities, her victories, and her vision for a more inclusive industry. As we head into the next chapter, let's carry her message of self-care, collaboration, and the fight for fair pay. Remember, your unique voice matters just like Gina's. Use it to speak your truth, advocate for what's right, and shine your light brighter than ever before. Until next time, stay curious, stay kind, and keep gathering. I'm Mary Morton, and this has been Gathering Ground.